What's going on, everyone? Alex De Silva, Happy As Larry Group. I hope you are well, and welcome to another episode of The Feel Good Show. My guest this week is Yasmin. She is the creator of Risk Being Seen podcast, which is available on iTunes. Go check it out. And she is currently on this amazing journey of self-improvement, self-discovery, self-understanding. And one of the funny things she said, she resides inside her comfort zone. And every now and then, she likes to occasionally take a little trip out of it. So today, listen, this is going to be open for everything. So I'm not going to even go too too much into it. Yasmin, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Alex, hi. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking to you today. Yeah, good. So am I. I'm really looking forward to this. And I know that we've been a guest to... to for, for identification, you know, we, we were on the same course, um, you know, broadcast yourself, which allowed us to be on here, which is great. And, you know, we've launched into, into this podcasting journey, you know, and then being able to go out there and, and help other people. Um, talk to me about this journey that you've been through, you know, and, and what's going on for you at the moment. What kind of inspired you to, to get into this? That's a really interesting question. So the, podcast yourself course was completely a whim. It was a Saturday afternoon, total impulse buy, followed immediately by the, you know, buyer's remorse of like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> because I didn't have any interest in starting a podcast. I just was kind of, you know, I, I do a lot of online courses and just like self-development stuff, which is something I've been interested in for, um, probably 15 or 20 years. And then for some reason I got this mail and I was like, well, that sounds interesting. And for a split second, I just thought maybe I'll learn something and meet some people. And that was pretty much it. And I signed up and then completely had a panic attack. <laughs> but it turned out to be a really good experience in that they teach you how to do a podcast, but on the way you learn all this other stuff about yourself, like mm. what, you, what you're resisting. It, it brings to the surface all these other issues you have underneath, <laughs> yeah. lying kind of like <laughs> dormant or, or, or things that you're unaware of. And then they manifest themselves while trying to achieve this goal mm. of starting a podcast. Yeah. So. Very, very true. Very true. And talk to me, I think the, the, the one thing we, we were going to talk about on here um, which I'm actually really interested in exploring. And, and I want to say thank you in advance for, for, for coming on and, and actually getting vulnerable around this stuff was talking about your relationship or lack of relationship with your dad, right? Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about that. And I guess let's kind of go from the beginning and just see where things are at the moment. Um, talk me through that and, you know, and, and, and why is it kind of, you know, such a, a topic for you at the moment? Yeah, I hadn't, my parents got divorced. Well, we're Pakistani. Mm -hmm. So divorce is very, you know, not acceptable in our mm -hmm. culture. It's obviously getting more and more common. But 20 years ago, um, my mom, you know, left my dad. She was very unhappy. I was in college. And at that point, I realized that my dad pretty much kind of blamed 
me and my three elder brothers from my mom leaving him. He didn't take any responsibility. And so he just kind of stopped talking to all of us. And I, at the time, I just thought, I didn't really, it didn't make me that upset because I guess I'm, I was more concerned about helping my mother. And then I just figured, oh, my dad will just come around, right? Like we'll, you know, there'll be some period of not speaking and then we'll, we'll just come back around. And then lo and behold, like 20 years have gone by and I'm still very close sort of with my mother, you know, and that I take care of her a lot or I talk to her, you know, weekly. And my father and I just, just, he just never got over it. So for 20 years, it's just been like, oh, obviously that didn't, I wasn't ever really close with my father. So it was something that just was like, oh yeah, I don't speak to my dad. And that's just kind of this part of me. But then recently I've been looking at that being like, wait a second, that can't be all there is to it. Like that has to be affecting me, right? In some ways in my relationships, not only with my dad, but with my family and with other men in my life, like that has to be impacting me, right? That can't just be like hanging out there. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I've been poking at uh, more recently. Uh, and then I took the Life Accelerator course. And part of that, there's some elements of that course about forgiveness and family relationships and that kind of thing, which got me thinking about it again. And then I think when you and I were talking, it was right around Father's Day. Mm-hmm. When, you know, that's about the one time a year where I just go, oh, yeah, I don't, you know, really do Father's Day because I don't have a relationship with my father. Sure. So that's kind of where things have been going for the past 20 years. And then how all of a sudden this year it's been a little bit more, huh, maybe I should look at that more closely. Mm-hmm. And how old were you when, when he left? I was maybe 20. 20, 21, 22, something around there. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like childhood or, or anything like that? Yeah. Before then, growing up, my father just, he was a doctor. He worked a lot. So we weren't ever really close. He just worked all the time. And we were just sort of children as trophies, right? Just expected to make good grades, expected to behave correctly, expected to, you know, go to a good school, whatever. We were just sort of there for, here are my trophy children, Right. So I, I never really had a, a strong relationship with him, even probably not since I was like five or six years old. Mm-hmm. And what was that like when, when, when you were younger? What do you remember? What was that kind of that good relationship that you remember between you and him? Oh, I remember, I remember really being a daddy's girl, right? Mom did most of the disciplining and dad was kind of just there to, he was less, he wasn't around as much. He was working a lot. So when he was there, he was really kind and used to, take us places and buy us things. And, you know, I just remember him carrying me around a lot. You know, I remember always being in his arms. Right. Um, yeah, like he was pretty, I don't know, he's pretty, pretty chill. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't like amazing like I hear other people talk about, but he was there and he cared. And I got the sense that, you know, he was interested. Mm-hmm. Once I hit about puberty, I felt a distinct change. He was just like, whoa, I don't know what to do with you. You're like, you're not a little girl anymore. And things took a really, a really big change, like a really big turn. And that he just didn't really pay attention anymore. He just was a little bit uncomfortable with me. Okay. Explain that. So in in what sense, was there anything in particular that he had said to you that, that made you feel that way? I think it was... No, I think it was just, I felt, it was, I just remember it was right about that time when I was about 13, when all of a sudden I think I kind of got my period and I was, you know, just, just kind of growing up a little bit and that sort of young, I wasn't a kid anymore. 
And I just remember he just, it, it was, I don't know. I don't remember a specific incident. I just remember it was right about that age where I just got the sense of, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't treat me the same way anymore. Right. There just isn't any interest. There wasn't any, like, I guess once I, he couldn't really pick me up anymore. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I remember. It was like at a certain point there was no picking up and there wasn't any, like, I'm teaching you how to ride a bike and we're going on Easter egg hunts together. Like all that kind of ended, right. When you get to that age, you know, eight, nine, 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess it started to like kind of decrease. And then by the time I was 13, it was just like, just, are you making straight A's? Okay, great. Keep doing that. And that was kind of, kind of the end of the discussion. Oh, that's very interesting. And yeah. How did you did you do anything to um, to sort of encourage, you know, I guess the, the communication and, and trying to kind of build that relationship with him, or did you just kind of take it in your stride? No, I think I probably did the opposite. Um, I think I expressed me and my brothers expressed our displeasure. So we would all be sitting around in the evening, like watching TV together, me and my my brothers and my mom would be making dinner or whatever. And then we would hear my dad come home from, you know, his, his, the doctor's office from his office and he'd be at the door and he always had a key ring of like 500,000 keys on one ring when he could never find the house key. And he's at the door and my mom would say, Hey, you know, Hey, you kids go let your dad in. And we would all like get up and we'd file out of the living room and we'd file right downstairs into the basement past the front door so he could see us he's at the door to the house trying to get in he and there's glass panes on it so he could see us like walk right past him and go downstairs that's that's where we knew he wouldn't bother us he would just go in and eat his dinner and then like you know whatever and go to sleep and we would just move our television watching from upstairs to downstairs and i was like wow that was really mean but he never he never came down there and he never like asked like, Hey, why do you guys ignore me when I come home from work? He was just like, okay, I guess they don't want to hang out with me. It was very, very strange. That's interesting. And what, what got you guys to, to, to do that? What was the thought process of, was it something you guys did as a collective or did you just kind of instigate this and say, right, we're, we're on strike with dad here. It was all very unspoken, Alex. It was very, we had a very strange family because, you know, you learn after he would come home and he would just come in and just start bitching about what are you watching and this is crap. And he would just start complaining about whatever we were watching and, mm-hmm. and sort of like shaming us for watching television when we were, you know, we're kids, we're teenagers. That's what mm-hmm. teenagers do. You just come home, you do some homework, you watch the TV, eat some dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it. And he would just kind of complain. And so to just avoid the complaining, it was like, oh, how do we avoid the complaining? Oh, we just go downstairs right. and then he, he won't come and talk to us. So we just like, you know, one person figured it out and they got up and they go downstairs and like, Oh, he's got the, that's a good idea to go. With him. <laughs> so we all just did it. So you basically just all followed suit and yeah. moved to the basement. Yeah. And no one said anything. We just get up and go down there and then just turn the TV back on. And 90% of the time he wouldn't, he wouldn't come downstairs to talk to us. He would just, leave us alone for the rest of the night and how was that on um how did that make you feel at the time i didn't think anything of it it was just like oh great you know i avoided getting yelled at for no reason Hmm. so we we didn't at the time i didn't think anything of it it was just like oh yeah he comes home and he's grumpy 
as a kid, what do I, what do I want? I want to not get harassed, right? All you do, everything when you're a teenager or a kid is just to not get in trouble. So this was the way for me to not get in trouble, mm-hmm. which is just go downstairs. Yeah. yeah. And my mother never asked us either. She, ne- she just would watch all this happen. <laughs> she didn't say anything either. And did, did he say anything to your mom? And did they kind of communicate over this? And did he say, like, what the hell is going on? Why are my kids just all of a sudden avoiding me? It, you know, I don't know if he ever said anything to her. I, just, I, could, I could guess that he maybe complained to her, but she never said anything to us. Okay. She was very protective of us. So, yeah, that, in retrospect, that's just really sad. Because, yeah. you know, when you're a kid, you only have one family, well, usually. Yeah. So you don't yeah. really know that things are, like, abnormal. Yeah. Right? Until you think about it a lot later, and you're like, oh, that probably wasn't normal. Yeah. But it's interesting, isn't it? And that's the reason why I'm just trying to, I'm trying to kind of just build that picture to try and understand. So where did it go from daddy's little girl to this complete disconnect emotionally and it wasn't just emotional by the sounds of things it was also from a communi- communicative perspective as well so you, you you almost like you both somewhere along the line detached emotionally and then the communication all then just stopped as well and i can kind of understand from what you're saying because as a child you know what we want is we want daddy to walk through the door and for us to put our arms around him and say i've missed you today you know, and for him to say, oh, I've missed you today. How are you guys doing? How was school? You know, how was your friends? Did you get in trouble? Did you do something good? Or, you know, whatever it might be, the kind of the usual conversations, I guess, we would expect to have, um, you know, with our parents. Mm-hmm. And I guess when you were, he was coming home, and, and I'm kind of building a picture here, and what you and your your, your brothers um we're getting is, is what are you watching on TV? Like turn this rubbish off or, you know, so on and so forth. And you're being nagged. How was that making you feel? Cause I, I, I always find that really, really important to, to kind of go back to was, and you said shame. <clears throat> was there any like kind of element of, was there any sort of feel of rejection in there? Or did you sort of not unloved if that's the kind of the, the right word? Yeah, I think so. I think what I remember of my dad growing up was just if we had any kind of emotional problem or if we were stressed about anything, even if it was dumb, you know, you're a kid and you're like, oh, I got a bad grade on a test or I, you know, got into a fight with one of my friends or, you know, I fell off my bike, whatever it was. It was like in my family, you didn't have the right to be unhappy because... My parents both grew, grew up in India. You know, Pakistan as a country wasn't formed until 1947. Mm-hmm. So they grew up very, very poor. Mm-hmm. So my dad's idea of happy and sadness was, did I get to eat today? Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have food. Um, his mom died when he was really like young, like I think like a baby or a little toddler. And my mom's mom also died when she was a baby. I think that really affected them. Nice. So I think to him, if you have food and a beautiful house to live in and you know we we go to disneyland and stuff how could you possibly be unhappy Mm. so he so so anytime you expressed anything that was 
um, you were unhappy or you were confused or whatever. He was just like, you've got food. What's wrong with you? Mm. You know, it was like this shame of like, we have money, therefore you can't have problems. Mm. Right? Same way we look at celebrities, right? You say, oh, well, they have a bajillion dollars in this giant home and these cars and they're celebrities, these millions of followers. They, their life must be perfect, right? They can't, mm. they aren't allowed to have real problems. Mm. And so you didn't get a lot of support in my family. Um, they didn't really know how to, how to parent, I don't think. So they just thought, if I'm giving you food and shelter, then mission accomplished. There's yeah. nothing else for them to give. Yeah. And, and was that, to you, far from the truth? What do you mean? Well, you got given everything, you know, from a materialistic perspective. Mm-hmm. Right? And sounds of it you got a good education you know you lived in in a wonderful house you had food you know all of these things that you know that we are very fortunate to have mm-hmm. you know especially in, in in the society that that we're living in you know as you said your parents came from a place where it was completely the opposite and on top of that which i want to touch on as well is <clears throat> you discussed that um both their parents died when they were both very young do you know what age they both were I know my mom was a baby, probably less like a year or two. Oh, I think no. my dad was maybe, I'm going to guess, between three and five or something. He was really little. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. these are huge, you know, in a, you know, in a, in a child's kind of age-wise, you know, he's you know, such important age Yeah. where – especially around, you know, for the caregivers, the parents to be there and teach them about love, kindness, tolerance, compassion, you know, about values, you know, and to to learn all of these things, not from a materialistic perspective, but from an emotional perspective. Obviously, they missed that, you know, they weren't shown. And I guess, were they brought up by family? Yeah, so both their parents um, got remarried and then had a, bajillion more kids so like my dad already had he was one of like five or six when his mom died and his father remarried had like another seven or eight Um, and my mom had you know four or five brothers and sisters and then her mom you know her mom died and and then they had another like five or six as well Mm -hmm. so then sort of the step-parent came in and then there's just this gaggle of children all in a very you know a very big age range, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them would be teenagers and some of them were babies. And so I think they both just kind of were lost in the shuffles. There's other relatives around, mm-hmm. but they just didn't have like the one kind of parent that, that really like grounded them, that made them feel like safe and whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that affected both my parents very differently. Yeah. Um, but my dad was the first one in his family to become a doctor, right? And he, wow. In, in exchange for them paying for his schooling, he was like, I'll send money to you guys. So he helped support the rest of his giant family mm-hmm. um, with his earnings after like they put him through school. Yeah. So I think to him, he just equated money with love. Yeah. Like that is how you give love. You give yeah. money. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. One of the, the, the similarities around both parents is both moms died. And typically, where does love come from? The mom. With both parents. Yeah, usually it tends to be that the mom is the, the disciplinarian that teaches the value, the love, the care. You know, this is how you should be. This is what you should do. And the, and the dad is more the 
as what society sees, not that this is true, that, you know, men don't show emotions, you know, you go out to work, you get your grades, you earn, you go to uni and you're a provider. And yes. what was his message? His message was, is you're a provider. We're going to pay for you to go to school. You're going to become a doctor. You're going to go to America. You're going to create your own family, but you're going to provide for us too. So the message that he was given as a child, that's the message that he was given. So as he's kind of growing up as a child, that's what he knows. He knows that the way to look after the family is he sees himself, his responsibility as a father, doing the right thing for him is I need to provide. He doesn't know the difference between emotionally providing and financially providing to him. They're just one. And what happens sometimes is in society, when we get to this point in life, especially now where we are, where, you know, everything is so much more freely accessible, you know, we can Google anything, emotional intelligence, we can Google meditation and you can literally pick, you know, out of millions on online. So all of these things are so easily available, which means that for us, we can understand these things a little bit more. We have easier access to them, but we're the ones searching for those things because we know that there isn't something quite right in there from an emotional perspective, because it's made us feel throughout all of these years that something just doesn't feel quite right. It's the reason why you're doing a self-development, you know, you're doing all these different courses and you're trying to kind of find an answer for something that's missing. Do you know what that is? What's missing for me? Yeah. It could be relationships. I think in my upbringing, we just sort of learned to be very self-reliant, which I think is, can have, has its positives. But even, even me and my brothers, it's not like, we didn't get support from, you know, from my father or my mother. And so therefore we relied on each other. We didn't rely on anybody. Mm-hmm. Like we were just sort of like people, roommates living in a house together, mm-hmm. right? Like if you had problems, whether they're emotional or school, whatever you learned that you had to deal with it yourself. And I think in that sense, I, I very much learned to kind of keep people at a distance and kind of have a wall around me, like, yeah, for some, I, I feel like I build a lot of walls between myself and other people. Okay. Why was that? I don't know. I don't know if it's because I just felt alone at some point, at some formative age, and then just decided that, okay, you know, I can only depend on myself. So I shouldn't open up to other people because that would make me vulnerable and make me dependent upon them. So mm-hmm. in order for me to be safe and whole and reliant. I need to just, just rely on myself. Mm-hmm. And how's that served you so far? Um, well, that's funny. I went and uh, visited a bunch of relatives recently. We have, uh, I have an aunt that uh, recently was diagnosed with cancer. So I went and visited a bunch of relatives that I haven't spoken to in 15 or 20 years. And I realized how complicated their lives are. Their interrelationships, right, with each other, the siblings, relationship with each other, and then the siblings' relationship with the mom who has cancer, and then the siblings all have their own children, and then there's all these extended relatives that are also there, and I was just, like, astonished at the politics and the drama 
and the, you know, things that were happening now, things that someone had done or said five or 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, people who, people who put everything aside and who, even if they were arguing before, came to see my aunt, you know, she has cancer. Mm -hmm. People who just put all that aside and came to see her, like, you know, the past is the past. This is now. You need us now. Blood is sicker than water. And then there are some people who are like, no, I'm, I'm fighting with you right now, or we have some drama going on. So they didn't come and visit her. And she has mm-hmm. cancer. It was so, like, just interesting to watch all of this happen and, like, see all this complicated stuff. Mm-hmm. So on the, on the one hand, I feel like I've missed out on a lot because, because I wasn't involved in any of that. But on the other hand, I feel like, wow, I've really missed out on – I've been safe from – 20 years of just drama and politics and other people's ridiculous pettiness and stuff by not being connected to them. And so it's kind of a double-edged sword, I think. Yeah. Cause that sounds for me, cause I'm going to touch on a couple of things, right? A few things that you mentioned. Okay. Talks about your becoming self-reliant. And I think that's, that's really important. And I, and I even relate to that because you know, in, in, I've had to be pretty much the same from a very young age, you know, and, and I had a son at 17. And then from then, I basically became an adult. I had to. Wow. Yeah, I had to. So, you know, my, my life changed from that moment. You know, I had to become an adult. I had to put an adult hat on, although I'm, I'm a teenager, you know, for still a number of years after that, you know, and I have this little boy, you know, who I have to look after. He's now 20, so I don't carry them like that anymore, and <laughs> which is incredible. But I guess what I'm, you know, so from the independence part, I was taught that and that served me well. Now, what I want to touch on is one of the things you said from an emotional perspective and that's what I was trying to touch on was the, um, you know, as you said, you kind of went on about your life. You did your own thing. You know, you removed yourself from the negativity and the drama and the gossip and everything else. Positive there, positive tick there, because I think in life, you know, we need to do things that are going to serve us. You know, it's going to serve us in a positive way. And anything that doesn't bring us you know, I guess for us, which are our key values, we all have some. For me, is you know, honesty, love, kindness, tolerance. You know, I want to bring that to myself and I want to try and provide that, you know, back into life, you know, to other people. And I want to surround myself with people who are very much the same. And obviously, you've created that. You know, you have that independence and no doubt you probably have people around you who are very similar. Now, here's what I want to touch on and I just want you to to, to look at that is was the emotional part because what you described was is you shut yourself off emotionally. And, and that's the bit where I was, that I wanted to ask you is how did that serve you? Because on one hand, you, you, you took something and you turned it into a, a positive, but at the same time, from an emotional perspective, you know, if you had kind of combined the two and you allowed yourself to express how you are, you know, as, as the true Yasmin and how you really feel and who you really are, do you think that would have made things different in relation to where you are today? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. That's That's kind of what I'm looking at now. It's like, here is the life that I've had and then there was a life looking back the past 15 or 20 years of what could have been mm-hmm. right. Of like, huh, I wonder, you know, how things are, how I would be different if I had, if I had opened myself up 
more to that or kept in touch with those, those people or been more open to others. And it's interesting. I mean, I can't change the past now. All I can decide is if I want to change now. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's kind of the interesting fork in the road where I am. Mm-hmm. It's like these, these relatives and these, these cousins that I had spoken to 50, 20 years, they were completely welcoming to me. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't like, why are you here now? You haven't been here. Where have you been for 20 years? Mm-hmm. You know, they were just like, oh, great. No, we're so glad you, you're here and thank you for helping and whatever. And now it's like I have a chance to, to reconnect with them if mm-hmm. I want that. Mm-hmm. Right? And I kind of feel like I do. Like I'm just at this point. I think it's so funny. Um, people talk about midlife crises. And when you're young, you're just like, I don't know what that means. And I'm not going to have that. And then lo and behold, like, you know, 40 something hits you. And suddenly it's like, bam. It's like I look back at my life and I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, how, yeah. what was, I was so unaware. I've just been like kind of autopiloting through life. Mm. Right. And now it's like, oh, okay. I have a choice. This is another choice point. Yeah. Right. Like I could, I could choose to be different from this moment. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting to be hanging out with my aunt with cancer, who's like 70. And then I'm like 44. And then I was hanging out with my cousin's daughters. who this is my nieces. And they're like 14, right. They're getting their first day of high school is today. Yeah. And it would just blow my mind to be sitting there with these 14 year olds. And then this 70 year old, who's clearly like toward the end of her life. And these kids are just starting. And I'm like at this confusing middle point. It was just blowing my mind, right? Just to like try to imagine where they are mentally and emotionally and in their life and where she is with her life and just like where I am. And it was just like, wow. Yeah. What's going on for you emotionally? What was that? What's going on for you emotionally at the moment, right here, right now? Right here, right now, it's just, Mm. it's very kind of turbulent, but not, I'm not afraid. It's just very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I realize that I value control and predictability a lot. That is what Mm -hmm. has served me in my entire life. I know what each day is going to bring. I prepared for it. It's very similar. I decide what I'm going to do and I do that. It's been very, in that way, it's been very safe. Mm. And that's another reason I call my podcast Risk Being Seen. So I've lived a very safe and sheltered and controlled life. Mm. Uh, things that made me uncomfortable, I just don't do those things. Things what? that I was afraid of, I just don't do those things. I don't, you know, crowds, loud noises, travel. These are things I didn't like. And so I just kind of made my world a little bit smaller okay. by cutting those things out. And now I'm at a point where it's like, is that what I want? Did, was that the right? Mm. That was clearly the choice that served me for a long time. I've had a very safe calm, predictable, and successful life. Mm. But I'm not sure, like, what do I want the next 20 years to look like? Yeah. So, you, I just want to touch on something. You, sure. you talked about, um, you know, your, your safety zone, you know, not too much noise, you know, not too much going on, you know, you're kind of in your little safe zone, you've had your successful career. Who does that remind you of? Uh, pop quiz. Okay. Is that, is that how my father was? Uh, I hadn't considered if that was like him. Help me out here, Alex. I need some help. You're trying, you're trying to take me somewhere. Hmm. I'm just trying to kind of, I think 
I know, I'm, again, I'm only just picking up from some of the things that you described previously mm-hmm. about his behavior when he came home and the message that he was sending to you, you know, as a, as a kid, you know, why are you watching this? Why are you doing this? Why, you know, and, and I'm not sure whether there could have been anything around noise or whatever, but it just seemed how you described that, you know, what you were, the message you were picking up from him when you were a child, it's almost like you then detached from that and you said, I'm going to go down to the basement and do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And you guys disappeared, went off to the basement and the emotional connection disappeared. So did the communication. Mm-hmm. But the message was already embedded because he, he plugged that message into you guys. And he turned around and said, well, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why you, do you see what I mean? And I'm just trying to, to see whether, and, you know, I, I might not be right here, so correct me if I am wrong. I'm just trying to see whether that is correct. Where did you almost just start to, because you've learned that behavior later on, did you automatically then just start to go into that safety zone as in avoid the things that, you know, that could be annoying, whether it's a, you know, a TV program or loud noises or loud music or do you see what I mean? And you basically just focused on your career and you became also successful and you, you know, that kind of became your life unconsciously. Do you see where I'm getting at? Yeah, thank you. I had not considered that that sort of parallel of me find the basement as my sort of safety zone, right, where I was free from harassment and there I had control and mm-hmm. I could do whatever I wanted without this sort of unpleasantness. I hadn't considered that that metaphor I've sort of carried with me of, okay, if I don't like these things, I can just, my relatives are all on this side of the country, I'll just go over to this side of the country and kind of have minimal contact with them. Um, to protect myself. Yeah. Hassle free. I I hadn't considered that. So thank you for that. Yeah. I'm just going to hassle free now. I'm not going to get involved. And, 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 and sometimes there are, again, with your independence, right? There are certain times where these things are really valuable for us because, you know, I always say to people, listen, you are never going to find the answers you know, the things that you're truly seeking, we can learn a lot. And, and I'm a huge advocate of learning from individuals, from learning from books, you know, reading, watching. I, I love these things because I think in life we should always seek to learn something. But the true answers to what we're searching for is never going to be in a book. It's never going to be in a video. You know, it's never going to be out there in somebody else. It, it comes from within. You know, the true answer of who we really, really want to be comes from us, you know, and and I think you're starting to find that, you know, when you went back and you sat down with your you, your auntie and you're sat, you've got your auntie on one side who's 70 years old, you've got your little niece who's 14, she's buzzing and excited about life because she's a millennial and everything happens at like 3,000 miles an hour. <laughs> My daughter's about the same age, so I know where, where you, you probably know where I'm coming from with this. And then you've got auntie who has lived her life. I don't know auntie, but it sounds, you know, to me that she's still got that family unit there. So hopefully she's lived a beautiful life, you know, and she's had the family there, including you, that she can now look back at her life and say, do you know what? This is amazing. Because moments like this are the things that we cherish forever. You know, these are the moments that live with us. You know, having that family unit. And I think there was a moment there for you where you got to see maybe a little part in you when you were younger. Mm-hmm. 
and maybe you maybe thought maybe slightly about the future and thought, where do I want to be when I get to that age? Do I want to be by myself or do I want to be surrounded by family like this? You know, the people who are closest to me. Does that make sense? Yeah. And where you are right now is you're in that present moment right here and right now. And you've basically just had the, um, you know, a, a, I guess a, a vision of both ends, you know, a little reminder of what's going on, what happened in the past and possibly what could happen in the future. If you could change anything from the past, what would you change? I think it's pretty clear to me now that I wouldn't have, when my parents got divorced and a lot of my family was rejecting my mother and she was very upset about it. In order for me to support her, I cut all of them off too. And I think I just, I cut too many. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some people that I should have, should have maintained contact with. So I think if I could go back and do it again, I would have, I would have made a different decision about that. Because mm-hmm. I did what was easiest and what was kind of safest. Mm-hmm. But I think I could have fought harder. I could have worked harder to maintain some relationships with, with family. Can that still be changed? Yeah. 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 I'm amazed at how welcoming they all were. Like I met all these nieces I had not even met before. And I felt really connected to them because I was very much, you know, like the weird, the weird auntie from the East coast that they'd only heard about. Right. Mm. And so for them to meet me, I'm very sort of out of their, um, normal like power structure, yeah. but yet still I have authority. So mm. I think I kind of established um, a good relationship with them. And I just feel like, Oh, if I want, I guess this is what maybe parenting is about. Like I look at them and I was like, man, if I could download my brain or all the lessons I've learned from my head into you, you would have such a better chance, you know, at life or such a, like a better go of it. Like mm-hmm. I can't go back and teach myself at that age, mm-hmm. but if I could download a couple of things into you, you'd have such a better go of it than I did. Right. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. what parenting is. Right. Gotcha. Absolutely. Listen, you know, the, the human brain is like a few billions years, a couple of billion years old, you know? So imagine the amount of information that we've passed through generations and generations and generations of, you know, of, of families, you know, and don't just think not just from your immediate family, think about your dads, your mums, and then you start to look at the extended friends, partners, you know, every single countless experience, you know, that you would have had from the day you were born until today, even now, what we're doing right now, you know, there's something that your brain's going to remember, you know, and so the amount of information that we store in the brain is incredible. You know, the brain is one of the most powerful tools, you know, without saying, and I always say this to people, people sometimes complain about how the brain works, you know, and, you know, and say, oh, you know, it's really annoying with my thoughts and negative and blah, 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 blah. It's, you know, one of the things that I'm learning a lot, our emotions are a byproduct of our thoughts. So if we can control the way we think, we can control the way we feel. Does that make sense? And and that's when if we take the right steps of changing the way that we're thinking and start to put the right actions into place, 
then you start to see the short-term, big-term, long-term goals. You know, those things in your life where possibly you couldn't change in the past, you may be able to change those in the future. Because the past is never going to change. That's done and dusted. It's never going to, it's never going to, you know, we can't do anything about that. But what we can do is if you have the opportunity, and that's why I asked you, if there is anything you could change, let's not say, let's not change the future, but you, you touched on something there about your family. If there is anything that you could take from right now, if there is an opportunity that you could grab right now and say, do you know what? I'm going to change this. What would you want to change? Considering what we've been talking about and, you know, the, the, the key topic here. I think it would be that I have the opportunity if I choose to rebuild a lot of relationships with my family, my immediate family and with these cousins and relatives and, and nieces and stuff. If I, if I want to, mm-hmm. that, that choice is, that choice is up to me. Yeah. I just have to pick up the phone or, you know, email or WhatsApp or messenger or whatever. And I, I could rebuild that What's starting today. Yeah. And what's stopping you? Cause it's almost like I, I get the, I get the, the feeling that there is a slight hesitation I'm not sure. I think I also have some some fears about connecting with people. Like I'm not going to ask the right questions, or I'm not going to say the right thing, or or that kind of that kind of issue. Like I have friends. You know, you probably have friends, or maybe you're one of those people who can just connect with anybody very easily. You don't worry about asking dumb questions or or whatever. But for me, I'm much much more reserved. I think. You know, I'm definitely somebody who follows other people's, I've always been surrounded by other people who are better at that than me. So I just was able to like watch them do the thing. And then I was able to kind of follow, follow on their coattails. Mm-hmm. And so if, if, if I don't have somebody around that and it's just on me to engage with a person or try to relate to them, mm-hmm. first of all, I have to break down my own walls that we talked about earlier Mm-hmm. Right, for those that kind of protection of like, okay, if I'm going to let somebody in, I have to kind of make myself more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, too, just that kind of people pleaser nature of like, I want to ask a good question. I want to make them feel good. I don't want to risk um, rejection. I, would, I don't want to risk them rejecting me if I ask an incorrect question or if I accidentally say something and offend them or whatever. So sure. that's probably a hesitation. Yeah, that's interesting. Two things that you touched on there, which which um, which I picked up on earlier, um, was war and rejection. Why why are you so I guess scared? Why are you scared of being rejected? Is it something to do with what happened before? Is that something? Is it because of how you felt with with that before? Yeah, probably. I think I think rejection is the most basic human fear that we have, right? Because if you're rejected from the tribe, then you die, right? That's where evolution has has brought us, right? Like, I think that's all the other fears kind of come from, kind of come from that thing. Mm-hmm. So, and I think very much that I felt rejected by my dad. And so that's something that I'm clearly very concerned about in other contexts. Mm-hmm. So, 
yeah, I kind of have to kind of get over that or realize that I'm not going to die. If I do say something and someone's offended, I can just be like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I was just trying to engage. Mm. And they'd probably be like, oh, that's fine. Mm. I'm how not going to die. How often has that happened? Where you, you, you've said something and you've actually offended somebody and, you know, or they've rejected you? I can't even think of, an, of one time where that's happened. So not once? What does that tell you? Uh, it's pretty rational. <laughs> One of the, um, somewhere I remember reading, reading up about fear. I, I was looking at fear. Fear consumed my life. I was fearful of everything. You know, I was fearful of failing. I was fearful of being a bad dad because I was so young. Uh, you know, I was fearful of disappointing my mom. I was fear because, you know, the whole rejection thing I can completely relate to because I had this relationship with my mom where she would love me and then she would reject me. And then I would love her more because I wanted the affection. So I chased for that affection. And, you know, and it was this kind of very codependent, relationship that we had so I was always really really fearful and it was interesting when you touched on about the wall that I had this wall where only certain people can get through but I will keep you just at a kind of enough of a safe distance and every now and then I'll let you in but what would happen was is the people that I was letting in they were exactly the same as my mum in the sense of some of their behaviors and how they were not that they were bad people, but there were just one or two little characters that resembled some of the things that she did. So what would happen was, is when something happened around rejection or around love, typically around the rejection part or fear, if I felt I was doing something wrong, I would self-sabotage. You know, I'd self-sabotage because what I would do is I'd much rather that person not be in my life than me risk being hurt. But the outcome every time was I would get hurt and I would hurt the other person too. So the more I got into that pattern of behavior, my wall got bigger and thicker and I became more and more lonely because I would open up to people less and less and less. I'm a very happy, expressive person and people would see this big, huge smile coming from miles away. But what I didn't do is I didn't show you what was actually going on in there. And the, what was really going on in there was pain. It was a lot, a lot of emotional pain and a lot of loneliness, you know, because I built this barrier and I built this mechanism with this, with my smile where I could just turn around and say to you, see, I could just turn around and say, yeah, everything's great. Mm -hmm. Come on, let's go out and do something. Completely divert from what's actually going on. Wow. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Does that relate? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see how a lot of people, that's that's the, the armor that we wear, right? That's the mask that you wear when you go out. That's the image that you want to project. That's the person you want the world to see. Is yeah. oh, I'm happy and I'm successful or I'm this or I'm that or I'm beautiful or I'm, you know, this and that when you're actually feeling something completely different on the inside. Mm -hmm. And then no one 
no one ever knows that, or they don't find out until something sort of catastrophic happens. Yeah. Now, this is the same thing that happens with all these celebrities, right? You're Williams or whatever, you're like, oh my gosh, they look so happy. They look so mm. successful in this. And then underneath, you know, you find out later that all this stuff was going on. So yeah. that's actually funny. I was walking through the airport. Right? I did a lot of traveling and I just see all these people out there and I'm just kind of, you know, you're going through the security lines, weaving in and out. I'm like, wow. And I should just stop and look at all these people and try to, in that kind of Buddhist meditation thing of like, I, I wish you peace and I want, I wish happiness for you. And I just wondered, just looking at the sea of faces, just like what your life experience has been through or what has this person gone through? What has that person gone through? What are they going through right now? Mm-hmm. Right. And all you see is like the outside, right? You just see sort of a mask. It's so hard to know what's going on um, below the surface with people unless you try to look and they have to sort of let you see. Right, it's kind of a it's a two way street. Yeah. So what's People going are really on? Really complicated. Yeah. Are really what's, complicated. Yeah, of course they are. What's your armor? Because you said you've got this wall, and you know you don't let people in, and emotionally you, from what I picked up, is that you, you kind of shut yourself off emotionally, and it seems that the rejection is one of the things. Um, what else is it other than, than that? I think one of the ways my armor is um, humor and sarcasm. Okay. Like I grew up in a, in a small town. Uh, we were the only, I think, you know, one of the only, or one of the very few like non-white families in our town of maybe six or 7,000 people. Mm-hmm. And so I was in, you know, school and I was, different you know i looked different and we had a different you know family culture and and i also made really good grades because that's again a cultural thing and my father expected it and so that made me not particularly popular with the jock types and a lot of that so i learned very quickly that you know if i don't want to get my ass kicked or whatever not that it ever really got to physical violence i was like i need to find a way to keep them at bay and the way that i could shut them down was to be so sarcastic and just so cutting with my humor, right? Like if I got in any kind of verbal altercation with these guys, I would just say something like, oh, hey, really nice layup that you missed in the basketball game last night. That was brilliant. And they would be so utterly just gutted by that, right? Because then everybody would laugh at them. So they learned pretty quick that, you know, they could dislike me, but they really wouldn't, they'd leave me alone. Yeah. Because the risk was too great, right? That I could heckle them and then they would really get made fun of by their by their by their own friends and so that was definitely the what i built in high school which served me then but then occasionally as i got older that same humor which brought people to me could also you know inflict humor upon people i cared about or inflict pain Mm -hmm. that same humor that made people laugh go i want to hang out there she's funny i could there was definitely some collateral damage a couple of times where i had to like learn to like tone it down Right, like find the line between funny and hurtful. Yeah. Right, it's not it's not okay to hurt one person in order to make these five other people laugh. Mm-hmm. Right, there's a choice you have to make there about mm-hmm. what's more important. Yeah. So I think from the outside, people just think I'm confident and funny and stuff. But yeah, whatever's going on on the inside, I'm still figuring out. Yeah. I'm interested to um, 
talk to me about because you talked about you know your your personal relationships like boyfriends fiance married have you ever, are you married been no. married nope okay not married no relationship right now okay so talk to me about that how has what happened to you previously affected you do you think it has affected you now how you are as an individual emotionally I think it has. I'm still trying to tease apart the specifics. Um, I didn't have, I was very much a late bloomer. I didn't have a real like boyfriend until I was 26, 27. Okay. And that first one was pretty, you know, maybe six or seven months. And then a year or two later, I met someone that I was in a relationship with for like 12 years. So I've really only had two relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, one was one of which was twelve years, and so that's really a whole section of life that I don't really like. I never like dated, and I've certainly never done any kind of online dating and like just going to bars and pick, meeting people and people like that's just something I've never done. I've never engaged in, and I that when my twelve-year relationship ended, um, and it was very amicable. He was ready to have kids. And that's something that, you know, based on my childhood, I was not interested in. It's like, I don't, I don't want kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's gotten me thinking a lot about just, is that something that I want? People are like, oh, well, why aren't you, you know, dating? Or why aren't you on whatever online apps there are now where you swipe and whatever? And I'm just like, yeah. I don't really have a desire to do it. Mm-hmm. I really like my life as it is, where I get to do whatever I want 24-7. Like, I really enjoy that. And I'm still try- coming to terms, Alex, with if, if that's okay or not. Because <laughs> society and people make me feel like that's, that, like that's not okay. And I'm like, but I really like it. Yeah. And so it's, it's one of those things where you ask yourself, is this behavior okay? Or is it masking some other emotional um, problem? And so therefore, I'm rationalizing it by saying it's okay. Mm. What do you think? If you were to be completely honest with yourself, because I've got a bit of an idea from some of the things that you've been saying, but what do you honestly think? If you were to be, look, and let's be, let's just get straight to, to, to it, right? Okay. You have to put your barriers down right now, right? Just drop the wall, drop everything, drop guard. Because even when we were talking, I know that you kind of answered the questions, you know, very, very safe. You're still in that safe bubble and that's where you live. The safe bubble's there all the time. You're constantly protecting yourself. And I get it. You don't want to be rejected. You don't want to be hurt. But the detriment, the longer this carries on, is the longer you're going, the long, lonelier you are going to become. Because what you do is, is your, remember you were saying about the tribe? You don't have to be kicked out of the tribe. You're doing it to yourself. You see what I mean? You're removing yourself from the tribe and let's call the tribe your family, right? And you got exposed to something. I always believe in this, that things happen for a reason. If you're a spiritual person, whether it's, I'm not a religious person, but, you know, I believe that there are, there's not just one God. I believe that there are gods, there are higher powers or guides, whatever, you know, people believe as individuals. But one of the things I do believe is that things happen for a reason. 
we get connected. Things happen to us in life for a reason. And I'm going to bring this back up. What happened to you when you went to see your auntie with your little niece and your auntie? That split moment you had there. That's something that clearly was obviously kind of sat with you and it, and it kind of gave you food for thought for a little bit. Right. And there is almost an, an element in your life when you also saw the rest of your family. That's another food for thought because you are now in this predicament where you even saw your dad, you know, before we even spoke about this, you know, you probably hadn't seen him before this. All of a sudden he then comes into the picture and you saw him and the rest of your family. So there are obviously things that are connecting in your life that are showing you two decisions that you make. And these are decisions that you need to look at. You either do one, stay in your safety box, in your wall or bubble, whatever you call it, and you carry on being who you are and you go on that journey and you keep saying to yourself, I'm okay, everything's great. Or you put the barriers down and you turn around and say to yourself, let's just bite the bullet, let's just fight through and let's look at this. What's really going on here? And that's the bit here now where what's going on? Do you see what I mean? What's the kind of the, 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 the truth for you? And, you? and the answer may not come now. Maybe something a little bit later, later on in a week or whatever. Write it down. Put these things down on paper. Be honest with yourself because, look, I completely agree that we as individuals need to take full accountability for who we are completely. No one's going to make you happy. You are. You're the only person that can make you happy. But here's the thing. There is a difference between, and I'm sure you know the difference between barriers and boundaries, right? No. Why don't you tell me? I want to hear your explanation. <laughs> okay. Barriers? Mm-hmm. Let's simplify it. Barriers is you're not coming anywhere near me. Okay. Stay the hell away from me. So emotionally, you detach yourself. As you said, you don't want to get vulnerable. You don't want to allow anybody in. And you've got your wall there. You're protected. You're safe. As you said, you live in your safety bubble, your safety zone, Yasmin zone. That's where you live Mm -hmm. because you have your barriers in place. People might try and chip away of it and say, hey, come on, let me in. I I want to love you. I want to hug you. I want to make things right. I want to talk to you about things. Let's move away from the past. Let's move towards the future. But you're like, no chance. Keep chipping away, but this ain't going to happen. Boundaries. I want to come and talk to you. Let's have a conversation about things that are going on. Okay, let's do that. It's allowing yourself to, to, to be vulnerable. It's allowing yourself to feel love. It's allowing yourself to go through that fear and just push past that barrier point the invisible line that sometimes we don't cross because we're so scared. But what boundaries allow you to do is to just turn around and say, this doesn't feel comfortable for me. I'm just going to put a pause here just for the time being. But what the boundary allows you to do is to then just push that a little bit further and allow yourself to be a little bit more vulnerable and to say, listen, let's do something. I want to share a conversation with you and I want to get honest with you. I want to share my emotions with you and I want to tell you how I'm feeling. And then go through that conversation. Let's say we're talking to dad, dad, you really hurt me on this day. This is what happened. 
blah, 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 blah. And I want to be honest with you. I want to get vulnerable right here and now. This is what happened. And the boundary that you put in is, listen, I want us to work towards this. But what you can do is you can put a safety line between you and him. And you can be honest about that. Clear communication. That's what boundary is. Just a clear communication. And you can put a verbal boundary there with him to say, look, for example, I'm just kind of throwing it out there. You have a conversation. You agree that you're going to stay in touch. And the boundary is, is that you're going to call him or he's going to call you. So you're putting accountability in there as well. If he doesn't call you, you don't just put the barriers up and say, whoa, barriers up. He ain't coming near me. He's rejected me again. What would the boundary is, is you're supposed to call me today. What may happen is you may find out, actually, I got called into an emergency or I'm really sorry. I got called into something, but I was meant to call you today. See the difference between the two. And sometimes when we live in that wall, it's safe. It's comfortable. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you peer out from the top of your wall and you're looking at everybody else's life, you know, when you looked at a 14-year-old's life and then you peeped into auntie's life and then you saw the rest of the family, and you just want to climb out of the wall for a second and kind of go, here I am. Talk to me. What's what's going through through your mind right now? Ah, that I'm glad I brought the Kleenex. I think what I'm thinking is, yeah, being with my family very much felt like the boundary was down. Um, I mean, with my cousins, not really with my dad, but even with, I'm closer with these cousins than I am with my immediate family. Mm -hmm. Again, we grew up in the same house and we're all just sort of like, you know, six fortresses living in this house together, right? Just like six little castles moving around in the house. Mm-hmm. My cousins, I was pretty, pretty close with them since a very young age. And being around them very much felt like, oh, like this feels different. It felt even, it felt different than being with my family. It felt different with being like with my college friends. It felt different than being with my coworkers. Like it felt there was a sense of belonging there that I hadn't really experienced in 15 or 20 years. That was just right back there from the second my plane landed and I saw them again. And it was like, Oh, this is pretty cool. You know? And I just kind of sat there like trying to absorb the feeling of it and trying to like experience it. And like, why is this different? You know, what is it about this? But it was, I remember thinking it felt really nice Mm. because they were just very accepting and there wasn't a, um, there wasn't any baggage there. I I kept telling my cousins, I was like, you know, I could come and help you take care of, you know, auntie because I don't have any emotional baggage with her. Mm -hmm. Whereas with her kids, right, she raised them. And so there's all this underlying stuff, whereas 
I spent also spent during this trip, I went to the mid- Midwest and I spent a week with my mother. And it's like, it is very tense. I love her. I just don't want to spend time with her. <laughs> right? You know, it's like, oh, I love you. I just don't want to spend any time with you. We don't. So like, I couldn't take care of my, my own mother. My mother's like almost probably 80. Um, she has her health issues. But like I couldn't take care of her on a day-to-day basis because we have too much emotional kind of history. But like my auntie, it's just like, oh, no, we're cool. Right? Our relationship has been entirely positive because mm-hmm. she didn't raise me. So that's why I tell my cousins, I'm like, you could take care of my mother. I could take care of your mother <laughs> because <laughs> we don't have the like emotional baggage, right? Yeah. So interesting. Mm. But what if you put a boundary in place with your mom? Okay. A boundary in place with your dad where you could have the relationship you want. You can walk through the door as the 10-year-old or you know, whatever age you feel where you may have kind of disconnected. What age was that? Do you, what, what, what age was that again? How do, what age do you feel when you're around your parents? Teenager. Yeah. So let's say maybe 15. Yeah. Okay. So when you walk through the door and you feel like a 15 year old. Yeah. It's because you've got your Yasmin castles on. Uh-huh. Armors on. You've got the guns out. You're fully protected. You're locked and loaded. You're not coming anywhere near me, right? Yeah. Okay. So what if you walked in there, 15-year-old Yasmin, and you lowered lowered the wall and you started to just apply the boundaries and you walked and you, you sat in that house as the Yasmin today, you say you're in your forties, right? Is that what you, yeah. yeah? Okay. Uh-huh. As the grown woman, independent, you've built your life as the woman you are today, open, honest, loving, caring, vulnerable, all of the things that we are able to and allowed to express, but you are bounded because the biggest the best thing that we can do as human beings, what are we doing now? We're communicating, right? Yes. We're talking about everything. We're getting honest. We're getting vulnerable. We're talking about different things. We're not kind of sticking to any kind of, you know, script or, or, or structure. Uh-huh. But we're getting somewhere. And that's typically life. Life doesn't follow rules. Life doesn't follow a line. You know, we we like to stick to our own lane when we're living through life. And I always say to people, stick to your lane, allow people to stick to theirs. You cannot control people, places, and things. You can't control how mum is. You can't control how dad is, how he behaves in his way. And I think we've established when we looked back that dad never had mum. Mum never had mum. They got stuck with dads. And dads back in those days, dads now, you know, we're just about starting to learn. I was blessed because I was brought up by women. So I was loved to death. Do you know what I mean? I got given all the love that I could get, a bit too much, you know, but I was very fortunate in, in that sense. But what I missed was the father figure. That's what I missed. I missed that a lot. 
huge when I was growing up. I needed that, really, really needed that. So I get where dad is because, and mum, because they're both in that place where they weren't shown the things that you seek, the things that you want. And what was also missing, and I guarantee, I'll even put money on this, that if you were to turn around and and, and you can even write these things down, write down how you felt and how things were making you feel and the things that you went through and, and the, the, the disconnect from being daddy's little girl or, or mum's little girl to all of a sudden what has become now. I'll put money on there. They're not going to just turn around and just say, yeah, whatever, and just walk away. Unless you are completely heartless, which I doubt your parents are because they've given you everything. Do you know what I mean? They provided and, you know, they, they were able to be there for you. Sometimes in life, one of the things that I've learned is we can only do our best with what we're given at that time. Yep. You know? And our best usually comes from what our caregivers give to us and what their caregivers give to them, you know? And they were missing two key parts from that, which generally tends to be mum. You know, so when they were kind of brought up, and as you said, they were both brought up, and I understand that huge family. I grew up in Brazil, and my family just kept multiplying, and they still do. <laughs> we just grow. It's insane. Uh, I, I've lost count of how many first cousins I have. It's over the twenty mark. Like we're 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 pushing boundaries here, and um, but that's beautiful about life. It's not perfect. Should never be. There's no such thing. No such thing as perfect. No such thing as failure. They both lead to, to each other. You try to be perfect, you're going to fail. You know, life is about experiences. It's all about creating experiences, whether they are good experiences, whether you are laughing like now, whether you are crying, whether you just want to burst into anger. Expressing that is what we got given. We have been given this beautiful God gift that is to express our emotions. But one of the most other powerful things that we got given are words, communication. And I always say to people, choose your words very carefully, you know, because we can do two things with words. We can save a life or we can take one away, you know. And sometimes how we communicate things can really help somebody or it can really damage someone. You know, and the beautiful thing, and I guess what I'm trying to get at, it's a bit of a long-winded one, but if you were to put those barriers down, which seems like you are, because things are obviously coming up, express those words, you know, express them honestly. And if you were to express them now, if we were kind of sat here, what would you, what would you want to say? What's going on for you now? I think what's happening right now is I just want to go in a corner and have a good cry. <laughs> you can have a good cry. It's good. Crying is good. Yeah. Mm. Crying helps you release the poison from your body. That's why you flush these tears. 
helps you to release. Yep. Give me a lot to think about today, Alex. <sighs> yeah, my barriers are in full effect. Like, don't cry, stop, cease, get control. <laughs> <laughs> Connect with um, with that emotion, whatever's going on right now, because obviously something's come up. Yeah. Let's just look at that. What is it? What's come up that's made you feel that emotion? I guess just sadness, maybe some vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Okay. Around something in particular? Probably just around my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. You can edit out my snorting. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's it's when someone else sees something in me that's true that I don't want them to see. Mm-hmm. That's when I cry. Mm-hmm. Probably because I suspect that's just vulnerability. I'm like, shit, somebody saw something. They weren't supposed to see that. Mm-hmm. Or under some kind of attack. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't get, interestingly, I don't get mad or anything about that. I don't feel fear. It's just kind of a, a tenderness, like a, like a sadness. Mm-hmm. What are you, what, what, um, what are you afraid that I've seen? What are you scared that I saw in you? I don't know that it's that I'm afraid that you saw it. Maybe it's uh, some part of me. I definitely feel like there's my sort of modern brain and then there's kind of the reptile brain. And mm-hmm. I think it's the modern brain's always like, we're cool. Everything's cool. We're cool. There's no problems. We're, everything's under control. And then the reptile brain is like, shit, no, it's not cool. And then my modern brain is like, wait, shit, we're not cool? Is something happening? Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Right? Like I have, I very much have a strong sense of the brain that's like telling its narrative of like, we're cool. Like at all times, like we're safe, we're okay, we're protected. And then when some other part of my brain is like, wait, wait, no, we're not. Then the other brain like kind of panics, like, shit, now what do we do? <laughs> like, like that's a terror. Like, like there's something horrible that will happen if we're not okay. Mm. Even though I guess, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. Are you not okay at the moment? It's an interesting question. I think I'm some part okay and some part not okay. Yeah. A little unsettled, I guess. Hmm. I, but that's not a bad thing. Because right. I slightly got you vulnerable. Yeah. I slightly pulled you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And what I want to show you is how beautiful vulnerability can be. 
Because allowing you to express that, you know, those tears, those emotions, the emotions that come up, you said sadness, you know, and that sadness will always stay with you. Doesn't matter how many times you turn around and say, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. You've programmed your brain to tell you when something like that comes up, anything that doesn't relate to, as I call the happiness umbrella, right? Or sorry, the love umbrella, which is happiness, laughter, you know, giggles, cuddles, anything that's flashing, pinky and beautiful and lovely was under the, you know, the love umbrella. Everything else falls under the fear umbrella. As soon as you start feeling sad, as soon as you start feeling any kind of remorse or fear starts kicking in, hang on a second, we're coming out of that comfort zone. What's going on? Whoa, 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 whoa. And then all of a sudden the red light starts to trigger. And now everything's cool. Let's go back to, to, to the love zone, guys. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, Yaz. Let's walk over this way. It's okay. Stay in this side. Yeah. What I've done is I've gone, ah, let's go over here for a second. Let's just bring something real for a minute because I want to show you something. What I wanted to show you is that when you look at that stuff, you start to release something because when you bottom these things down on top of your, your, your barriers and Yasmin's castle, you also have Yasmin's Pandora's box, which stores every single emotion, feeling, experience. Let's just say experience. Everything you've experienced from an emotional perspective is in there. And what you've learned to do is you've locked it triple locked it, put another box inside it and another box and another box and another box. Then you've built the castle. So this thing is lovely, lovely tucked away. And the pass and the passcode in there is we're cool. So no one's going to get in there other than you. Yep. What I've done is I've gone, ah, thanks for giving me the password. Let's just have a little look in there and see what we can find. And we found a little bit of sadness because sadness was the one that needed to come up. Now what happens is this, when you open Pandora's box, your body will only give you what you can handle. So it showed you that because that's the one thing that you keep carrying around all the time. And that's probably the most current feeling. And I'll put something into this. When you were sat in that, whether it was a living room or in that house with the niece and the auntie, that emotion would have come up at some point. And I think you mentioned, you know, when you're sat around your whole family, there was an element of vulnerability there, you know? And the reason these things come up, the reason our emotions keep coming up is because it's a way of your body telling you, you need to deal with this. It's the way of your body saying to you, please listen to me. It's almost imagine little Yasmin, 15 year old Yasmin, the little inner child who's in there. And she's saying to you, please listen to me. We've got to come out of here because it's lonely in there for her. Do you see what I mean? You understand? Yep. For you and the little Yasmin. So you've got adult Yasmin and you've got little Yasmin in there. And she turns around and keeps saying to you, please look at this because this is going to make me feel better. And what happens is, is as soon as you start looking at these things and you open that Pandora's box, as you've seen, has anything dramatic happened from you feeling this emotion other than you just crying and expressing how you truly feel? No. Is there an element where you just started to feel a little bit better? Probably. Yeah. yeah. But nothing bad has happened. Huh. So, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. And just being able to connect 
to that emotion. And I mean, we're literally, I'm kind of, this is surface level stuff, but it's going to help so much, you know, with the longer term for you, you know, the short term more immediately. So short, short term goal, midterm, long term, you know, is start looking at those things. Here's a short term goal. Okay. I noticed I think you had a pad and a paper in front of you, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah, so I just blocked that really quickly. <clears throat> Go away and just short term. Just look at your emotions, your 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 immediate emotions. Like now something's come up. I've kind of just opened you up a little bit. Um, and that's good. So what I want you to do is as you're kind of open, I want you to just write down the things that come up immediately. Don't think about it. Don't go into safety zone. I just want to explain this real quick. Your brain's going to do every single thing possible in order for you to not put those things down on paper. It's going to want you to go and make a cup of coffee. It's going to want you to go to the toilet a hundred times. You're going to open it. <laughs> you know, a million times you're, you're, you're going to get distracted and your brain will probably start doing that pretty quickly sure and the reason it does that is that's your safety zone that's your protection yeah. the brain yeah. is there to protect you so you've taught your brain now that as soon as these things come up this is what you do so i want you to use this when your brain starts to do that for you you're just going to turn around and say to yourself not today not right now or this is okay And I want you to just write the emotions that come up that make you, that's making you cry. That's making you, because the thing is, when you pour those things into the paper, onto a piece of paper or three or 10, what they're going to do is they're going to come alive because all of a sudden you're not hanging on to them anymore. They're out. You've taken them out of Pandora's and you've put them down on paper. So now we're looking at reality here. This is real. So the next stage from that, so that's the short term. The next stage from that is how are you going, what are you going to do next with regards to these feelings? How are you going to look at them? Who, what is your immediate goal? Do you, are you going to go and speak to mum? Or are you going to go and speak to dad? Or maybe you want to start a little bit slower. But don't put yourself back into the box. Don't put yourself back into the castle. You've put that up for sale now. Can't go back in there. It's out. So what you're going to do, you're going to put boundaries in place. If you want, I can go through that with you offline and, and we can talk about it a little bit more. Devise a, 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 a mid, just like a, a plan for yourself of what you would like, what conversation you would like to have with your family, your immediate family, so the people you want to get close to. Uh-huh. How do you want to approach that? Your mum and your dad. And you can share it with me offline afterwards in a couple of days or whatever, and we can go through it. 
but I want you to set those goals. Because what I want you to do is as soon as this is done, you're a completely different Yasmin now. Because now you understand it. Now you've connected to that feeling or those emotions. You know that these are just natural things that, that, that happen to us. And every step you take forward will be another step where you will heal from this. And what would happen is you're going to go from the Yasmin you think you know to the Yasmin that you don't know. The true you, who you really want to be. And that could be the one that loves listening to rock and roll really, really loud, going to Guns N' Roses and crowd surfing or jumping out of planes and going out on dates. Tinder, by the way, is the uh, the dating app. You can try to <laughs> knock yourself out. I met my wife through that. <laughs> so listen, this is, this is the, the, the most incredible thing about life. You know, and I want you to experience that because when you smile, when you beam and you laugh, like there is almost like an element where I see the real you, and then for a split second you kind of go back into into the box, but you're not doing that right now, and it's nice because you're kind of still you're you're sticking to where you are at the minute, and it's good. How are you feeling? Unsettled, but okay. Good. As Jocko Willing says, good. This is harder than I thought it would be, Alex. What's hard? Well, just I, I had an idea that this kind of stuff could come up when we talked today, but it's, it's, it's harder than I thought. Being vulnerable, I guess. Was it hard, though? Kind of, yeah. Yeah? Kind of, yeah. But do you think now, after all this, that you're ready to now take the next steps forward? And I don't mean leap. I mean steps. Just one foot in front of the other. Possibly. I see um, some possible next steps. I'm not sure if I'm ready to take them, but I can at least see them. So I hadn't really considered that before. Mm-hmm. I just thought with my family, it is what it is, which was just you know a safe kind of excuse to not do anything to change it. So, mm. and you know what the thing about life is? It's not it is what it is. It can be anything, anything. Yeah. Because as I always throw it out there, says who. You throw something at me and I'm going to turn around and say to you, says who? Who says you can't do that? Who says you can't think that way? Who says you can't be that person? Generally, who says that? Where does that usually come from? Who tells us that we can't do the things that we want to do? 
comes from us. really good at this. <laughs> but thank you for doing all this with me. It's definitely made me see some stuff I didn't see before. Good. And listen, and, and don't be afraid to see more. That's why I said to you, write those things down. You know, be honest, be raw with yourself, because as I said, the, you, you will see this as you're now kind of going through this. Do it now if you have some time. I'll, you know, once we, we we wrap this up, start writing because it will all come flooding out and cry, laugh, scream, but just keep writing, keep writing. It will come naturally. What I would suggest you do after, okay, because we've kind of got a little bit fumble and I'm not with you right now. Um, but what I'd like you to do after is once you've finished writing and you've completely, completely put everything, because what I've done is we've kind of opened Pandora's box. And what I want you to do is I just want you to protect yourself. So just put a boundary in place now for yourself. So what I want you to do is once you finish, do you meditate? Yeah. Okay. Do a little meditation just five, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. You can do a silent one. Uh, I know because you talked about Buddhism and just put a protection barrier around you just to keep you nice and safe for the rest of the day and just to keep you protected and, and then smile and just say to yourself, it's going to be a beautiful day. Yeah, I can do all that. Good. Yeah. Awesome. And I'm here. You know, once we kind of wrap up and stuff, and obviously just speak to me, message me. I'm happy to get on the call. And, and you know, if you want to have further conversations, let me know. Whew. Thank you so much, Alex. It's been really, really helpful. My pleasure. My absolute pleasure. And it was lovely to get to know you as well. You really get to know you now. Yeah, I feel like next time I'll have to have you on my podcast so I can get to get to know you a little bit. Sounds good. Because yeah. dad at 17, that sounds pretty intense. I can't even imagine. Uh, yeah, I can. we can go deep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll tell you. Yeah, I've I've uh, this I've done this, so I, I'm I've learned to. Do you know what I I learned to accept? I've grown acceptance around a lot of things, you know, acceptance around a lot of things that happened to me around my addiction and things that I did, and you know what I've done to other people, what I've done to myself, more importantly, 
and I've grown to just accept that, you know what, it's okay. You know, it's, it's done. But what I took away from all of those things and all of these exercises and, you know, and there is so much more that I do and, you know, and the one key thing that I do is I look after number one and that's me. And it's always self-love, self-care. And just always looking after me because what I found is this, when I look after me, when I know who I am now and I put me first, everything else in my life works. My wife, my kids, my family, my friends, because what I do is I put out into the world what I want to attract. And the vibe that I want to put out into the world right now is let's just have some fun. Let's just live. Let's be happy. Because suffering is shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Sucks, right? Yeah. Right. So let's be happy. Yasmin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Alex. This is been amazing this is this is a different one from the typical you know from from previous episodes and and you've even given me some food for thought actually you really have and i really i really thank you from the bottom of my heart you you've allowed me in and i know how hard it can be to to allow somebody in you know and and to get vulnerable like that you know and, and to share those stories and to, to kind of get into, you know, into things like that. And um, I really respect that. I really, really do. And, and I'm, and listen, you know, you, you, you've made a friend out of me. So, you know, I'm here after and, and let's carry on, you know, let's carry on with this afterwards. You know, let me know how you're getting on. Um, so thank you. Thank you again, Alex. I really, really appreciate this. So I hope that, um, this helps some other people that are out there listen yeah. to your show yeah. as much as it's helped me. So thank, thank you. you. No, I really appreciate it. And listen, guys, thank you so much for listening. And if you need any help, if you have any questions, then go onto our website. You can sign up to our newsletter. We've got a, a course that we also provide as well, which helps you know, situations like this. And if you want to contact us, you want to speak to us, just go to www.happyaslarrygroup.com. Yasmin, thank you so much again. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Have an amazing day, evening, wherever you are in the world. And I will speak to you again very soon. Take care.